I don't know about you, whenever I see videos like that, I um, raise my hand and I say, I'm guilty. Absolutely. We're consumers by nature, are we not? That's just what we do. We get, we get, we get, and we need more, and so we look for more. And, and here's the response to that, and I've seen that video several times leading up to today's sermon. Here's my response to that. Not only am I guilty of being a consumer, but then on the other hand, when I realize that, then I want to make it up. And my human nature is to, because I am guilty, give out of guilt. Uh, for instance, you can't go now to the checkout at the grocery store, any number of stores, without someone asking you, would you care to give to, name it, whatever the charity is, whatever it is that you need to donate. And so when I see videos like this, I'm like, yeah, I'm a consumer. I get all the time. But then I go to the other side, and I'm kind of guilty, and I give out of guilt. And when I give out of guilt, even my giving is centered on me because I'm giving to kind of alleviate this, this pressure that I have that I should be giving more. Do you get the picture? So we're, we're kind of stuck in our human nature. We're consumers, and that's what we think about, and that's what we do. That's just our, our sin nature. But then when we try and, and go the other way, even then we're stuck because we do it out of guilt. Hey, we're entering into the biggest consumer season of the entire year. Are you ready? And when it comes to giving at Christmas time, how often do we give simply because we have to? simply because that's what we're supposed to do. We give because it would look bad if I didn't give. So when it comes to the question, how much is enough? And when it comes to resources, whether it's time or whether it's technology, and particularly today when we talk about our money, the question is, how do we become unstuck? How do we respond to what God sees through the scriptures and in this church that we've been looking at today. From Acts chapter 11, this book, uh, this, chap this uh, church at Antioch, how do we see in them a model that is different than what our human natures cause us to become when it comes to giving and when it comes to getting? Acts chapter 11, go ahead and turn there now, and I want us to read just a few verses to set the stage for us as we talk about generosity and as we talk about our resources and we talk about, about money and uh, this church at Antioch teaches us a whole bunch in, a, a, as to the Holy Spirit and as to innovating ministry in the church and as to its people and to missions and to impacting its community. But today, as I shared with our staff today, here is an opportunity, a model for a church that we put in front of us. And it's awfully, awfully hard for a pastor to try and persuade people and to say, hey, I want you to do that. Here's the tension that I live with as I preach to you this morning, all right? I see this model and I say, hey, we want to aspire to do that. We want to be transformational like that church. And I could plead and I could beg and, and I could say, man, I want us to give generously. And, and, and I do. But I come to you this morning realizing one thing, that what this church has is what every church should aspire to have and what I as your pastor aspire for this church to have. And that is a fresh unique moving of the gospel and of the Holy Spirit inside of it moving among its members. That's what's going to bring about generosity. This church was unique because 
the gospel had come to Antioch in a very special way. The church at Jerusalem was a church that was given the great commission and to go out and to make disciples among all people groups, Jews and Gentiles, all nations, Jesus said. But it didn't get out of Jerusalem for a couple of years. It finally comes to Antioch and there's this, this new grace, this new gospel blowing that brought together Jews and Gentiles in a way that the Jerusalem church really didn't understand and really didn't realize. It was different. And then the church at Jerusalem does something uh, in sending Barnabas down to take a look at the church. And then another prophet from Jerusalem comes down and he asks them for money. He asks them to give generously. Let's look at it. Acts chapter 11, verse 27. If you don't have a copy of the Word of God, maybe you have one on your digital device there. There's one in the pew rack in front of you there in the worship center. Good to have you with us as well for the preaching of the Word of God this morning. Everyone, Acts chapter 11, verse 27. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers, footnote says, to the brothers and the sisters living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Thought number one this morning as we first of all look at this church on generosity. Generosity is unleashed in the people of God when the people of God release control of their resources in great faith. Generosity is unleashed in a people, in a church, when individuals begin to release control of their resources in great faith. Now, understand when this prophet comes down from Jerusalem, understand what he's asking here. He's asking the people to step out in great faith and to do something that is unique and to do something that is different. Understand that the church in Jerusalem had cultural differences with the church in Antioch. There was primarily a Jewish movement in Jerusalem. In Antioch, it's Jewish and Gentile. There are, diff there are different cultures between the two cities. So much so, these differences, that in Acts chapter 15, watch what happens. There's this dispute that breaks out because the church up in Jerusalem says there's some Jews there. And they say, you know what? In order for what's going on in Antioch, in order for what's going on there to be legitimate or for us to, to give it a stamp of approval or a stamp of authenticity that Jesus is indeed moving and working among these people, they have to become like us, like Jews. They have to participate in the traditions and the rituals of the Jewish people. And Paul and Barnabas, they say, whoa, hold it. Nope, nope. That's not the gospel. And the church at Antioch, they send leaders up to Jerusalem and they have this council and this discussion and the church at Jerusalem is challenged by this. Here is what I'm saying. You have two different churches that aren't thinking exactly alike here. And when a prophet comes from the church in Jerusalem, kind of investigating, kind of maybe this sense of, hey, kind of looking down their nose at these new young believers and this, this mixture of... Uh, of different people groups kind of saying, is that really legitimate? 
kind of this sense of spiritual elitism maybe slipping in there. And he comes down and he says, okay, here's the deal. I'm from Jerusalem. And I, there is going to be a famine, and this famine is going to be so severe that you, church at Antioch, need to give to the church that's not like you, to the brothers and the sisters that are up there to meet the needs. Now, I don't know about you, but if someone were to step into our church and to do something like that, how would we respond? I like what Jeff Ward writes in his book, the author of this series. He says this. He says, imagine... If a church from another denomination attacked your church and questioned your faith and publicly criticized your ministry efforts, and then one of the pastors from the other church steps in and says, I want you to give a relief offering, people. We're not sure who you are, but we want you to give to us. And here's the kicker. The, the famine hadn't even occurred yet. It was still in the future. The people of Antioch are asked to release control of their resources in faith to a work of God and to the Spirit of God, and they do so. How would we respond today to that type of invitation? <laughs> I know what some of us would say. Uh-uh, uh-uh. I'm not giving to you. <laughs> you get on the same page with me, and I'll give to you. Or um, let's see more proof. Uh, give, give me proof. How, how many times have, have uh, you been on the phone with a solicitor, someone calling and saying, hey, um, would you give to this? And you know what our first response, really, th 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 this isn't very good. Your pastor's confessing here, right? But here's our first response. Hey, will you give us something in the mail to give us more proof? You ever done that? And really what you're trying to do is get them away, right? But you're asking, hey, give us evidence that that is what you're really doing. How many of us in the church say, hey, give us proof that God is really, hey, give us proof because why? Here, here's the central point of this first point. Ready? We think it's our money. So therefore, we have control. And so therefore, we have to approve and we have to discern. And Jesus taught a very, very important principle when he walked on the earth and talked an awful lot about money. And here's the bottom line of what Jesus said, that all money and all resources are, belong to God. They don't belong to you. And you are not the owner. God is the owner. Therefore, you are the steward, and you will give account for how you spend and use God's money. And here, this church at Antioch, they just, they just said, okay, um, there's a need, and the Spirit of God is working, and and, and and you're asking us to be a part of something that is unique, and, and, and it's going to help. We're in. We're in, and we're in by faith. We're in by faith, and this is what it takes. This is how generosity is unleashed when there's a, when there's a great step of faith. But here's the, here's the second thing. Generosity focuses on meeting human needs while glorifying the Heavenly Father. There, verse 28, was going to be a great famine all over the world. So this means that people are going to suffer. This means that people are going to be hungry. But generosity focuses... Yes, on meeting human needs, but it ultimately results in glory to the Heavenly Father. We as believers, when it comes to our resources and when it comes to money and when it comes to giving, do you realize you have two things you got to think about when it comes to human needs? Number one, yes, we should meet human needs. Yes, there is suffering. Yes, there are people who uh, all over the world, whether it's in third world countries or wherever it might be, there are people in this country 
who are in poverty. There are people who lack food. There are people who lack shelter. Yes, there are all sorts of human needs. And believers should be the ones that are responding to this. And we have. But believers, there's two things you got to think in mind when it comes to your giving and your generosity. Number one, can it meet human needs? Because every single man, woman, boy, and girl on the planet is made in the image of God and is worthy, worthy of the dignity that is afforded to a person who is made in the image of God. But secondly, it needs to result in glory to the Father. There's kind of this external understanding of human needs, but there's this internal motivation. It's like my, my daughter, she goes to a Christian school. She goes to a private school here in town. And she, uh, in the car the other day, said, hey, Dad, the, the professor or the teacher asked me a question. And, and how did I answer? And she said, here was the question. Should a Mormon and should Christians and evangelicals, should they serve together in helping to meet human needs? And I said, what'd you say? And she said, Yeah. Yeah, they should, because everyone, like I just said, is, is worthy a, a, of receiving help. Well, then what's the distinction then? Because Mormons don't believe the same thing about God the Father and about Jesus that, that evangelicals do. And I said, and I said, listen, you, you answered well, you answered right, but you've got to go just one step further, because Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We meet human needs because people are worthy of the dignity and the respect and the love and the care that they deserve. But ultimately, the glory and the light of the Father is what we should be after. So the church of Downing, here's how they do this. They see the human need. People are going to suffer. People are going to be hungry. People might die because of this. You're telling us, Agabus, you're saying that's going to happen? Absolutely. We want to contribute to that. But you notice, who did they give to? This is interesting. Look at it in your text there. So the disciples determined, verse 29, everyone according to his ability to send relief to whom? The brothers and the sisters. Here's what they're after, the glory of God. Because they know that the gospel, the gospel, there's all kinds of questions circulating. Who is this Jesus? And what is this Jesus movement? These Jesus churches or these little, these little followers are popping up and what is this thing? And Jesus said, this is how the world will know that you love me by the way that you love one another. So the church says, if there's a need, we're going to meet it, but we're going to meet it for the sake of the glory of God and for the sake of the gospel. So when we generously give, we're thinking two things. One, can it help? Can it help someone who is hurting? But number two, will the light of the glory of the gospel somehow get to places where it is not right now? Those are great, great reasons to give. And this church has given faithfully. This, this church has given generously. Over the past couple of years, we've been able to do this. And I'm going to set up now a video. I'm going to set up for you our reach offering that we're going to take next week. And because of your giving, church, and because two years ago we had an overage of money, the amount of money that we were taking in and the amount of money that was going out, we had an overage, so we were able to give dollars so that every single person who went on a mission trip was able to go at, their at the cost of the trip cut in half. Last year, because of our 150th offering, we were able to give over $170,000 to missions for the sake of helping uh, our church partners, but so that every single individual who went on a mission trip could have, their, could have the cost cut in half. Over 230 people went on trips in two in 2015. And here's what I want to say to you this morning, is that because of the generosity of many, many people here, 
stories like the one you're going to see might not have happened. Listen to this couple, great, great couple from here at Taylor's who went to Prague just this past year and listen to their story about generosity and how it folds in with the light of the gospel. Let's watch this. Hi, my name is uh, Jason Evans, and this is my wife, Kristen. We were able to go on a reach trip with Taylor's through, to the city of Prague, and uh, we just had a, uh, an amazing time seeing the Lord work. We were looking at trips, and I um, had already felt like if there was one going somewhere in Europe, that that mm -hmm. would definitely be an incredible experience. Yeah. And also, if we could go together, that would be amazing. When they made the announcement that the, the REACH offering was going to provide 50% scholarships, we were both like, well, we can both go on this. Mm -hmm. If I mean, if that scholarship wasn't available, then um, it would just be financially extremely difficult for us to mm -hmm. both go. What we bring over there is the light of Jesus. And um, really, you can see it on people's faces. They don't have the hope of Christ that we do. There, there, there is an established church, but it was located 45 minutes away from where we were. And the missionary, um, Will Robbins, uh, who's been there for, I think, 10 plus years, he was wanting to, to go tackle this area where there is no church. And they had been praying for someone to come and live in that area and help just capture that part of Prague. And luckily we were, we were the first team that got to work with that family, Adam and Amy Rankin. We were just helping them make contacts. We prayer walked the entire area. We helped kind of map out like places for them to get plugged in. It was very neat to get to experience the groundwork that goes into a church plant. We would love to go back and continue to work alongside Adam and Amy to get contacts, uh, continue to develop that relationship that we already have with them after the first trip. Jason and Kristen represent getting the light of the gospel to a place that is incredibly needy. In fact, they say that nine out, almost nine out of every 10 people that live in Prague and the Czech Republic are atheists. Can you believe that? Eight, you talk about a dark place. Think of what has happened in Paris this past over the last couple of days, and in Europe, there is this incredible darkness that is signified by secularism, a sense of pushing away from God, a sense of, of, of dissonance between God and the church, and now you're starting to see what's filling in the void of darkness. And our only hope is the light of the gospel. And that's why we go. That's why there are needs. That's why we give. That's why there's an offering. And like we've done the last two years, it is our heart to send every single person that goes at 50% of the rate. Our goal for our missions offering this year is $135,000. And this reach envelope that you have next week, we're going to ask you to put something in this envelope and to give it as a sacrificial offering for the sake of getting the light and the glory of God to places where it is not. We're going to ask you to pray this week, and we're going to ask you to, to really seek the Lord as before we enter into the Thanksgiving and Christmas season. 
And we want you to give, and we want you to give generously, and we want you to see the grace of God that's working in people like Jason and Kristen. But most of all, we want you to sense and feel, and as you watch the news this week and you think of Europe, we want you to sense and feel the light of the gospel getting to Europe and getting around the world and getting to cities here in the U.S. You say $135,000, that's a lot of money. It is a lot of money. It is a lot of money. But I want you to see one other point, and I'm going to pick up on that. Number three, generosity is multiplied when everyone gives. It's a lot of money, absolutely. But when everyone gives, generosity is multiplied and the need is met. Verse 30, 29, I'm sorry. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability. This means everyone in Antioch got swept up in this community faith-filled enterprise to meet the need. Everyone. Everyone went back and said, what can I give? And it's not equal gifts. Look, in this room and in the nine o'clock service and and over in the worship center, there are incredible diversity of, of what we have. The question is not equal gifts. The question is equal sacrifice. And will everyone participate in our mission offering and in our faithful giving? Two aspects of giving here at Taylor, sacrificially like to this offering, but faithfully, will everyone contribute? And this is how we know whether discipleship is taking root and taking hold when the grace and gospel of God is freeing people up to say, you know what, the money is not mine, but instead it belongs to you, I'll give. Sacrificially, $135,000 for our mission trip. As I was thinking about that figure this week, just just thinking through preaching to you and on the 22nd as we give, I'm sitting at Eastside High School. My daughter went to an open house for Eastside High School this past week and the student body president stands up or the student government, uh, one of the student government guys, one of the representatives, the students, and he stands up and he goes, hey, Spirit Week is the greatest week at Eastside High School. And here's why, because it's an awfully fun week, but you know what we do at Eastside? We raise money. We raise money and we give it to a charity. And this year, our charity was Kids Cancer. And he said, you know what? We do all kinds of stuff to raise money. And this year, and I was waiting, and I've heard about this. He said, this year we raised $125,000 as a student body. I'm like, in one week? Are you kidding me? So I pick up the phone or I start texting Dustin and uh, Diane in our student ministry this week. I said, on Friday, I was like, help, help me here. What takes place at these spirit weeks? And they said, yeah, um, there's car uh, washes and there are 5K runs and there are all kinds of things that the kids do and the student body just jumps in and they start to raise all kinds of money throughout the week. I'm like, you're kidding me. Yeah, everybody's in. It's awesome. As I'm thinking through their texts, they're sending these back to me. And I thought, well, find out then, what do other schools give? You ready? Riverside High School. Ready? Not comparing, not saying Eastside's better than Riverside, not better way to have, I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, listen to the, here's the point, generosity multiplies when everybody's in. Riverside High School, $96,000 to the Barbara Stone Foundation, Kids with Disabilities. You ready for this? Wade Hampton. $225,000 to Project Hope, which helps cure autism. One week. Because why? Because people said, we're in it together. There's the spirit. There is this community. There is this faith-driven, need-driven problem, and we're going to jump in. Now, here's what happens in the church, Okay. 
This is how we know when grace is not all the way getting to the root is when people say, well, I'll, I'll give individually over here, or I'll give individually over here, but when it comes to collectively, show me more. Show me more. Especially when it comes to the Christmas season and when it comes to our giving, man, our, our dollars are going to be, our, our dollars are going to be stretched. Our dollars are going to be, um, really be, going to be disseminated all over the place. But a transformational church says, everybody steps up to get the gospel to places like Prague. The church says, everybody, a transformational church says, everyone steps up to meet the needs of the church. That word, everyone. Everyone determined. Everyone took part. How are we doing, church? You know, a couple of years ago, we found a statistic, and I shared it with you. And in the fall of 2013, here's what we found when it comes to giving units. 57% of giving units contributed something to the life of the body here, whereas 43% gave nothing. And then earlier this fall, we made a comparison. What has happened in two years? When we preached on uh, Jesus and giving, Jesus and money. Here's what we found just a few months ago that 62% contributed something, 38% gave nothing. Here's what this means, that not everyone is participating. I'm just giving you a model of Antioch where everyone participates sacrificially and faithfully. Here at Taylor's, here, here's just a picture I'm just putting in front of you that some people just aren't giving. Now again, back to, back to my opening comments. I wish I could persuade. I wish I could pull it out of you. I, I just can't. All I have to say is I pray that the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ begins to transform this church in such a way where money is not an issue here at Taylor's First Baptist Church. It's always going to be a challenge. But here's what a transformational church does. It gives sacrificially. It gives faithfully. One of my staff members came to me this week. And he knew I was preaching on money, and he did some work for me. And he said, listen, here's the deal. He says, do you realize right now where we are, 4.5% behind in giving from last year? And he said, do you realize that um, we have a deficit here? The money that is coming in to us, in comparison to the money that is going out for expenses, we're at a deficit. The money that's going out is exceeding what we're taking in. He says, but do you realize this? If everyone contributed, if every member of Taylor's First Baptist Church, if every member, in addition to what they're regular, regularly giving, were to give $65, just a one-time gift between now and the end of the year, that deficit would be completely gone. It would be completely wiped out. It's like, really? That's it? It doesn't seem like much, but it's a little... Here's my point. The church at Antioch. Faith generous need in the glory of the gospel where are we I'm just giving you a picture where are you where are you and a mark of a disciple is that everything we own is poured out sacrificially and faithfully because number four generosity reflects God's grace to us in the gospel it is sacrificial and faithful Generosity reflects God's grace that has been poured into you. We're about to come into the Lord's, uh, go to the Lord's table here. We're going to celebrate and remember what God has done for us. And the gospel 
of Christ is a mark of this to you. This is what this table right here. I'm going to pick up this piece of unleavened bread right here. This represents the body of Christ that was broken for you. We're going to take this here in this room. You're going to take uh, the Lord's Supper in the other room. This represents God's, God's uh, Jesus' body. And our generosity, our response to God, just not with our money, but with our time and with our, our families and with our relationships and with the things that we struggle with and the things that we kind of withhold and we kind of hoard and just kind of keep in. And we're so miserly with our lives. Jesus comes and gives his life for you and his, his body is torn apart and ripped and broken. This is Jesus who is the Son of God, and he comes. And instead of coming to earth and holding back and not giving, he rips his body apart for you. And this should free us. This should liberate us. I told my staff this morning as we prayed before coming in, I said the gospel frees you. That when you look at what Christ has done for your sin, who you are, think of who you are, and you look at what Christ has done for you to redeem you and to love you and to bring you back to God, and when you look at how faithful he has been to you, and you look at the, you look at the grace of God that is poured out to you, why in the world do we become so miserly in our relationships and with our time and with our money? Why do we hold back when Christ has come and has given everything for you? You see, money is simply not a dollars and cents. Make sense. Make this, uh, make, make this persuade me, preacher. No, money is simply this. It's a heart issue of whether we truly believe everything is God's and we freely give it over to him. And so this morning, I appeal to the gospel to free us and to liberate us. I appeal to the gospel in the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9, two chapters devoted to giving. You want to see how Paul did it? You, know, you want to see an appeal Paul made on behalf of Read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and here's what he says, that Jesus, for your sake, he was incredibly rich. He became poor. So therefore, and I'm summarizing here, he says, you exceed in this grace also. He says, Corinthians, you're awfully good at a lot of stuff. You're good at faith, and you're good at knowledge, and you're good at love. You're good at some really good stuff, Corinthians, but excel in this grace of being generous. Why? Because Christ has been generous with you. He said, then the world will see, and the world will know. The world will know that you're different. The world will know that you're unique. The world will know that you have been transformed by this tangible, tangible thing called giving and generosity. Will you pray with me right now, and then we'll come to the Lord's table. Father, I pray... I pray right now, Lord, that as we come in two rooms to worship you, that our hearts would be stirred by the incredible good news that is in front of us, that Christ has come, 
Christ has died to liberate us and make us free from whatever it is we hold back. And our hearts need to be unlocked, Father. It it could be in any number of different ways. So I pray that as we come to the Lord's table, that people will examine their hearts, as Paul told the church, and look inside and see if there's anything that stands between us and you. And Father, that we would let it go and we would celebrate and remember Christ has has been torn and Christ has been bloodied and Christ has been crucified for us to be reconciled to you and to be free from our sin and to be free to live now in great joy and great purpose. Father, as we take the Lord's Supper, would you work in hearts? In both rooms, Lord, stir as only your Holy Spirit can stir. And Father, here's the beautiful thing. We leave all things and all results and all of our hopes and all of our plans and all of our designs and all of our lives just as Jesus left it there in the cross and you resurrected his body again. We leave them all and we die to them so that you can resurrect us again. So Father, hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.